Premier Christian Newscast. Christian gospel singer was recently approached by the police while busking in central London. In a video of their conversation, one of the officers tells the singer she is not allowed to sing church songs outside of church grounds and later sticks her tongue out when the singer pushes back. For many of those furiously sharing this viral video online, it's further evidence of how the secular authorities in this country are trying to unfairly push Christianity out of the public square. But is there really a problem with freedom of speech in the UK? Or is this just one isolated incident of a confused copper not understanding the law? Is Britain actually becoming increasingly intolerant of orthodox belief? And if so, what, if anything, should the church be doing about this? I'm Tim Wyatt, and on this episode of the Premier Christian Newscast, I'm joined by Emma Fowle and Sam Hales from Premier Christianity magazine to discuss what freedoms we do or don't have to express our religious convictions and why so many believers are starting to worry about political correctness and a supposed erosion of free speech. Well, thanks for joining us, Sam and Emma. Um, for those who haven't really been following very closely, this this conversation is kind of inspired by a news story from a week or two ago where uh, a Christian gospel singer, who I think is called Harmony London, or at least that's her kind of online handle, uh, she was performing on um, Oxford Street in, in central London and a video was started circulating around where she was um, kind of... I don't think she was arrested, but some police officers came up to her and basically told her that she wasn't allowed to sing. And the particular thing that's caused a lot of a lot of interest is one of the officers um, told her that you're not allowed to sing church songs outside of church grounds unless you are authorised by the church. And then the kind of singer pushes back and says, yes, you am. What about my human rights and my freedom of speech? And uh, there's a bit of a kind of to and fro. Um, subsequently, the Met has kind of uh, put out a statement saying that um, it was a, a 30 second clip of a 43 minute conversation where the wider context is not merely obvious, but actually they said the interaction was mostly around unlicensed busking, suggesting that uh, the singer didn't have a license to do busking on the street. Um, but they said uh, the officer was mistaken in saying church songs cannot be sung outside of church grounds. We're sorry for the offence caused and we'll take the learning forward. Did you guys um, come across this story? What, what did you think when you saw the video? Yeah, yeah, we 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 saw the video. We we've been talking about it for much of last week, and um, it is a super interesting story. Um, there are there are actually a few. If you if you look on social media, a few um, buskers that love doing worship music in public places, especially in and around London and in and around train stations in particular. And I've been following this for a while because I just think it's a really interesting thing to see these people worshiping Jesus in in a public place. But yeah, there's a lot of issues going on in this one little story um and so yeah obviously the police have come out and said that this is about busking and and licensing and we can have a whole discussion about that and how that's changed over the years and how it might um impact street evangelism in general and and different types of church outreaches there's also the conversation around um not only what the police officer said and let's point out at this point she's not a, a proper police officer she's a volunteer police officer um 
though with all the full powers of a regular police yeah, officer. Yeah, which is another interesting thing, isn't it? She's <laughs> clearly misquoted the law on the one hand and then stuck her tongue out in a really disrespectful fashion at the end of the conversation, knowing full well that she was being recorded on and it would you know, likely go on social media. So lots of different issues to unpack there around legalities, attitudes and, um, yeah, how, how we do policing in this current climate. And I think when the story first broke, it was it was a ready-made story. I mean, you have this social media clip of a police officer clearly getting the law drastically wrong in a way that's going to offend and upset pretty much every Christian you know. I mean, imagine walking down the street and being told, you cannot sing out loud how great thou art unless you're on church grounds or you have a, a written permission slip from a vicar. I mean, it's just clearly nonsense. Let's call it what it is. And then, as Emma says, this police officer sticking her tongue out at this this young young lady, Harmony, who was the busker. And, you know, the Met have said there's context. Well, what context could possibly justify a police officer sticking their tongue out at someone? That's And also, what context could possibly justify telling someone you can't sing a Christian song unless you're on church grounds? So it was a, it was a ready-made story, and all of the usual people you might expect to jump on it and be outraged about it were. Um, and... Is it an important story? Well, yes and no. I mean, it is important in that I don't think there should be a single police officer, whether voluntary or otherwise, who can get the law that wrong on something as fundamental as religious freedom. In another sense, you don't want to overreact. This this was one police officer, police officer out of thousands. It was clearly a mistake. And I imagine this can... You know, no one's been arrested. No one's in prison over this. You know, we, we don't have fully fledged cracking down on every Christian busker in the country, do we? I think this is... A misunderstanding, but it is significant in that how could this misunderstand not even misunderstanding, how could this misappropriation of the law by the police ever be allowed to happen, even if it is an isolated incident? I wonder if this story, as you say, Sam, was almost kind of like too good as a kind of package, because it just fitted into people's existing axes to grind, you know, from Christians who are already worried about kind of free speech and political correctness. Um and as you say, is there an is this is this actually an example of which quite a lot of these kind of so-called persecution stories end up being a bit more muddy and around kind of finickety licensing issues? And someone says, I was stopped from speaking my faith at work. And actually, when you read the employment tribunal judgment, it's a bit more messy and blurry, and it's because they didn't, you know, obey a lawful instruction from their boss or, or whatever it was. You know, some a cynic might say, look, this is this is simply a busker who didn't have a license who turned it into a Christian issue because she was singing Christian songs. And it's an individual police officer who, as you say, wildly misunderstood what the law is in this country. But apart from that, there's no wider significance at all. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting point. And actually, um, in in this month's edition of the magazine, um, one of our freelance journalists, Heather Tomlinson, has written a piece about free speech. And in it, she, she speaks to lots of people. And one of the guys that she speaks to, um, I think it's the guy that works for the Christian, for Christian Concern, says that a lot of the time the issue is not our actual laws. It's the way that our laws are being implemented. And that comes down to sometimes and it'd be interesting to know it's it's very hard with these one-off stories isn't it to know whether like we've said this is a one-off tiny insulated incident or whether this is actually happening in lots of little ways across the UK all the time um is how do individual police officers when they come across something on the street that may be a little alien to them respond and are they responding 
according to the actual law, which actually pro- provides everybody in the UK with quite a high level of personal freedom to say and express what they want to say and express. Not everything. You can't say everything you want to that comes into your head. But, you know, we have a lot of freedom. Or are they responding to that situation in light of the cultural pressures that we now exist and live within? So are they thinking, oh, that thing doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand Christianity. It sounds offensive. I think someone might be offended by what they're saying. And then they respond in a way that they think is culturally appropriate, but not legally accurate. And and that may be becoming quite a big issue. We've talked about low levels of religious literacy and how it impacts various spheres of of public life, whether that's the media or whether that's politics, you know, it may also be affecting the way that we police. And that is an issue and it does need to be addressed. Yeah, I agree. And as Emma says, that's exactly what this cover story in Prima Christianity makes clear. One of the quotes is attacks on freedom of speech are generally not a problem of law, but a problem of culture. We don't have politicians in this country passing laws every week or even every month that's a deliberate crackdown on Christians. It just is not happening. But what is happening is a less religious across the board society. And with that is likely to come more misunderstanding, more intolerance towards those of any religious faith. But there does seem to be something quite distinct about Christianity, that because historically we have been such a Christian country and there's bishops and their house of lords and until recently, most prime ministers were identifying as Christian, all the rest of it. There's been so much Christian heritage that I think people feel sometimes it feels a bit easier to uh, sort of speak down to the to the Christians. because, like, well, you're in a position of authority and power. and We can take the mick out of you a little bit or we can tolerate you a little bit less in a way that I don't think does often happen to other religions that are in more of a minority. And there's more of a respect that you're such a minority. We need to treat you really well. So I do think culturally there is a there is a kind of pressure on Christians culturally that I think is growing and we've seen growing slowly over the years. And it does seem to be getting worse. And instances like this do point to that happening. But again, Tim, you rightly say you you don't want to overreact to this and say, this is some huge crackdown on Christians by the police, because that just isn't happening. And, And there are voices that, frankly, I think have been guilty of exaggerating this issue um, for all sorts of different reasons. And I don't want to be one of those voices, but I also don't want to be someone that ignores it either. Because as I say, there shouldn't be a single police officer in the country that's that's behaving this way. There isn't any justification for it. Yeah, as you say, the, the laws we have in this country are, are pretty sound, you know, in terms of the freedoms of speech, the freedoms of to practice faith, to change faith, to express faith. Uh, and so it really seems, I, I agree with you. I think it really seems to me that the problem is is not um, that that there is, you know, creeping uh, intolerance within the legislation but it's more about we have a culture which is increasingly unable to tolerate things which are legal but unpopular and a police kind of council police officers and councils who are kind of increasingly perhaps unwilling to enforce the freedoms that we enjoy as Christians you know I think of those string of street preachers who've been arrested in recent years quite often on on allegedly because you know a police officer has interpreted that you know preaching traditional biblical teaching on sexuality a conservative perspective on sexuality is kind of interpreted as hate speech and if these courts often it's then kind of quietly de-arrested and kind of forgotten about but sometimes they do reach the courts and they almost always get thrown out and get acquitted because the laws are actually much more robust than maybe the police think they are or want they want them to be 
But then you have to say, is a narrow focus on law actually missing the point? You know, you can have, you know, people often say this in the American context, you know, freedom of speech is upheld in the Constitution, but that doesn't mean anything if in practical terms you can lose your job and you can be hounded out of your community by people for expressing that freedom. Yes. And in this cover story by Heather Tomlinson in, in Prima Christianity, she quotes a judge from 1999. And this was during an appeal over the arrest of a Christian street preacher. And the judge said, free speech includes not only the inoffensive, but the irritating, the contentious, the eccentric, the heretical, the unwelcome and the provocative, providing it does not tend to provoke violence. Freedom only to speak inoffensively is not worth having. And this seems to be the debate. In the past, there was this understanding that you can be really offensive and horrible and actually under free speech, you can get away with that. And there seems to be, again, a bit of a cultural shift towards saying things, well, actually, not only am I offended by that, but that's hate speech. Um, And once it's hate speech, then we think it should be a a crime. And again, you see changing attitudes towards this when people are polled. I mean, we ran a story last month that uh, a third of young people in this country said if the Bible contained hate speech, it should be banned. So it becomes slightly more complicated. Well, what is what is hate speech? And actually, in the past, we might have said, yeah, that sounds a bit horrible and and even hateful, but it's it's allowed under free speech. Because I think now society is sort of wanting to crack down on this a bit heavier. And for Christians, we are then going to run into problems when if the Bible teaches things that are not just uncomfortable, but culture considers offensive and a Christian then says that thing, which culturally might be considered offensive. These sorts of cases are going to become more prevalent. And I think that's exactly what we've seen. So on the one hand, you have more and more street preachers in trouble. On the other hand, as you say, Tim, they almost always are not charged um, or they win on a, on, on appeal. So again, it's not a, it's not a legal problem. It's not a political problem yet. It is more of a cultural problem and people are worried about where that culture is going to take us ultimately. Yeah. And for me, that I think is the thing that's a little bit is irritating. You know, when you look at the state of our country and the things that are going on and everyone's saying the police are overstretched, there's not enough money in the court system, blah, blah. There's a part of me that's like, come on, like, surely we can sort this out. Even if they are getting thrown out of the courts, it's still not a nice thing to be arrested in public if you're sharing the gospel, for example, as a street preacher, or to be dragged away from your pitch when you're singing worship songs and you think you have a legitimate right to do that. I mean, yes, there are, you know, I don't know. I mean, what are the expectations of our police force? Do we, I, I don't think, it doesn't feel unreasonable to me as a lay person to think that the people that are policing our streets should understand the law and that when things do go through case courts and, and test cases arise and it becomes a sort of a, a history and a little set of cases, then surely that should be fed back somehow? Is that too much to ask? <laughs> Is that is too it, much to ask? Yeah. Is it part of the problem that the law actually is vague? You know, we say that we have great laws on this on the books, but, you know, actually there is a law which says, you know, the Communication Act says a grossly offensive communication can be a criminal offence at times. What counts as grossly offensive? You know, what someone is offended by is in the eye of the beholder. You know, I could send you a message, Emma, which you'll just shrug off and Sam experiences the same content as grossly offensive, reports it to the police and then the police have a decision to make. Do they investigate? Is Sam's experience of offence enough to make it a criminal act? And, you know, it's actually there is I have a degree of sympathy for the police because I think actually somehow we our politicians have given them laws which are unhelpfully vague or at least incredibly subjective and that's where maybe we need stronger guidance from the courts and even from parliament to say 
this is grossly offensive. But if they're simply just reading out passages of the Bible that sound unusual to modern ears, you need to leave them, al- leave them mm. alone. Because actually, at the moment, it's up to each individual police officer to decide. And there's there's been a similar issue, just, just to turn the heat up even further on this already sensitive issue, when it comes to the Israel-Gaza protests that's also mentioned in this piece, where you have people using words like jihad on the streets of London, and you have a group of people saying, uh, excuse me, police, these people are chanting jihads, and I'm Jewish, and I think they want to do me some serious harm here. And the police saying, well, it depends how you define jihad, and actually this might be some kind of peaceful... And again, you're asking the police then to wade into... Um, theological terms and political terms over exactly what constitutes um, offence. And you've had all sorts of accusations of two-tier policing. And again, the police are in a bit of a tricky position there um, of exactly who should be arrested at these protests and who not. And it's such a charged atmosphere as well. I mean, my goodness, imagine the police officer trying to wade in and arrest someone holding a placard on either side of that super contentious issue. It's not going to go down well but i i mean i would say personally i think the police have, have rightly come under cr- criticism for the way those protests have been um well i was gonna say police not policed is the issue i mean there have been images on social media that are completely beyond the pale of some of the placards that have been held up and very little if any arrests from what i can see so you know as i say it's an even more contentious issue than the one we're debating but it is it is related where is the line here on freedom of speech and actually things that as a society we say that is beyond the pale and i, I think it's a good point you bring up tim about the communications act because i think so many people in this country will say we have free speech end of sentence when in reality we don't in reality it is a crime to incite religious or racial hatred against someone it is uh and even even issues where it's not criminal. So defamation is an area that we as, we as journalists are very well aware of. If we write an article that says, uh, I'll use Tim as an example because he won't sue me. If I were to write, if I were to write an example or say now that that Tim is is guilty of the most horrific crime you could ever comprehend, and I were to name that crime, Tim would have every right to take me to court and to sue me for defamation. And what's incredible on that point is that we as journalists are highly trained in this and we know what we can and can't write. But the law equally applies to anyone who's on Twitter, anyone who publishes anything anywhere on your Facebook page. You, too, could be sued for defamation if you make a claim against someone that isn't true. So do we have freedom of speech? Well, yes and no. We do. Generally, you can say what you like, but there are still parameters on that, all sorts of different uh, parameters. And there are a mixture, some civil, some criminal, and some just cultural. I mean, being cancelled is the classic example nowadays of, well, yeah, you can say what you like, but actually, if you are in a position of power in that organisation and you open Twitter and you say that, you're free to say that, but actually you could be fired. Um, And and yeah, you have freedom to do it, but do you really want to? Because uh, there can be consequences to your words. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. I guess the next question to ask is, is free speech really a a value that Christians should be upholding or are we only kind of like whining about this because we feel under attack you know you don't have to look too far in in the church world to find equal numbers of Christians shouting about trying to shut down what other people would say was their freedom of speech you know and you know historically that might have looked like you know attempts to kind of censor violent or rude tv books films blasphemy you know you can't say that about Jesus because it's offensive to me as a Christian um you know 
are we trying to have our cake and eat it here where we want free speech for us to say the most offensive, unpopular things we want, but the second someone from another worldview, you know, it might be the kind of ultra woke lefty people, it might be another faith, we actually say, oh, hang on, that's offensive to me, you can't say that. I think there's sadly a lot a lot of truth in that. Someone once summed it up as saying, I want justice for everyone else and grace for me. <laughs> you know, I want I want justice for all these other people who are saying terrible things they shouldn't be allowed. But when it comes to my free speech, I want total grace to say what I like. And there's there is sadly a lot of truth in that. And I think that's a personal challenge for all of us. Are we being consistent in the way we apply these things? Yeah, and I think I think it, you know we have to accept as well as Heather uh, makes the point very very well in in her article that you know that even within the history of Christianity itself we don't have a great track record on free speech. So even like you know when you've got these huge changes like Martin Luther advocating for freedom from the Catholic Church, he was also quite good at shutting down anyone else that opposed him after that. So you know we're, we're not it's it's definitely not perfect within the church, and you need yeah we have to look this issue really hard and clearly in the eye and say if we want free speech for ourselves we have to equally be prepared to be offended and sometimes as Christians we also conflate the issues of of free speech and it being a Christian value or Christian right and I'm, I'm not sure that is particularly accurate either um, it's it's for sure accurate to say that the majority of countries that currently have a good level of free speech probably have a sort of Judeo-Christian history or roots to their value systems or their laws. But, you know, again, you go back to the Bible, Jesus did not have free speech. He was killed for speaking the truth. So, you know, on what basis do we stand here and say, I demand as a Christian that I should be able to speak the truth and it must be accepted? I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure that holds up for me personally. Maybe the, the opposite is actually true um, as christians we should be the first people to accept that sometimes we will have to suffer for speaking the truth i wonder if there's been a, a change on this over time i mean i think back to when the life of brian was released and mm. it seemed i mean i wasn't around at the time but from from what i've read <laughs> uh from what i've read it seems like a large part of a large part of the christian community was pretty united in uh, really banning banning that film it shouldn't be shown and I, I do wonder I think nowadays Christians are less likely to have that need as a whole we're less likely to have that knee-jerk reaction because I think we understand well we live in a in a, a world where there are lots of different religions and non-religions represented in the country and people need to have that freedom I think I think we've become a little bit more tolerant if I'm honest um, however however on the question of Christianity and free speech I would be quite hard line on one area and that is I think as Christians we have to campaign very strongly on the freedom to preach the gospel because once you once you don't have that freedom that's when really the whole the whole nature of the faith is in jeopardy in, in, in some way so I think I'd want to make a distinction between lots of other kind of christian freedoms or issues of free speech but there is a fundamental one there about the the right to tell people what i believe as a christian and i think that's really the reason why christians do campaign on freedom of speech it's because well actually i want to live in a country where i'm free to share my faith um so i I think in that sense free speech can be it can be a christian issue in that i need to have a right politically to to tell people what i what i believe um but i think there's lots of other you know, do do you put a Christian busker in that in that same category? Is that the same issue, or is it slightly different? I'm not sure. But there there is a 
a right to freedom of speech for the purposes of preaching the gospel that I think Christians are rightly quite hot on. And yeah, you're right though, Sam, because that, that could have very many gradations there, couldn't it? Are we talking about a personal freedom to share my go- to share the gospel of Jesus in a personal context with a friend? Are we talking about the right of um, a preacher to stand in the church on a Sunday morning and say pretty much whatever he wants? And even that issue, or she... Um, even that issue is not quite as clear cut as it used to be. Now we're live streaming most of our services, and and now we have the you know the more contentious ethical sexuality type issues. You know, would you would you feel as comfortable as you might have done ten years ago as a preacher standing in your pulpit and delivering quite a hard um, message that might be controversial to your local community or to the to the culture in general, whether that's about crystal healing or, you know, the medium meeting that's going on in your town that you might not approve of, or whether it's on abortion or whether you're talking about sexuality and gender. You know, there are lots of quite contentious issues that even preachers have to think about now that their services are not always as private as they once were or and or are being recorded for posterity to be analysed in 20 years time when things may have changed again. Um, Or are you talking about organised church street outreach in a public place like holding an outdoor service or are you talking about things like busking because they're all different issues and um you know i know we've that the things that we would have done even down here in cornwall as a church or as a local christian community in on beaches or in parks you know 10 years ago with you could literally decide the night before you were going to go outside and sing. Now you have to get a license. You have to get a bit of paper. Some people just object to that and are like, no, I'm not doing it. Other people are like, well, this is the law. So, you know, we comply and we do it as kindly as we can. There's a lot of stuff, isn't there? <laughs> there is a lot. There's a lot of layers to this conversation, which I think is why often we people start, Christians start shouting each other about it because we're often talking about slightly different things or, or, kind of arguing about slightly different things. I mean, I mean, I take a, I kind of try and look at the long view. You think the long historical view, you know, wh- why was it that the church tried so hard to kind of shut down the life of Brian? It was the kind of dying embers of Christendom in this country. And Christians still felt like it was a Christian country. We're the cultural majority and therefore we should be able to enforce our worldview on the, on the society. And now we are obviously a cultural minority. We become very hot on freedom of speech and protecting the rights of the minority. Um, but as you, as we've said before, you know, in times gone by when Christianity was kind of default, um, there was absolutely no commitment whatsoever to freedom of speech. And even other Christians, you know, rival denominations and interpretations of faith would be brutally persecuted by ostensibly Christian people. So, you know, what I look at as I see that actually any group in any time in history, when they're in power, they seek to enforce their worldview and cultural values on everyone. Um, and as we are moving into an age of secularism it is probably going to be inevitable that the 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 kind of secular worldview as it takes cultural power will in subtle ways but increasingly seek to enforce its worldview on on everyone and christians will increasingly be kind of out of kilter and that seems scary to us but actually you go back to the new testament that situation normal isn't it that's what all the apostles and acts were experiencing this is what jesus says you know you'll be hated by the world you know the gospel is going to be offensive and foolishness to the greeks and all that stuff so in some sense this is almost like the come down from 2000 years where we had this cultural power and we wielded this kind of christendom era and now we're kind of going back into a kind of early church thing where actually the cultural dominance is held by a an increasingly anti-Christian worldview, and we're not used to it. But actually, you know, the, Bible, the, the Christians living in the era of the kind of first century would say, you know, 
this is this is what it means to be a follower. This is what it means to take up your cross. I'm not saying we should stop arguing for our rights, but I'm saying we should stop being so precious and so surprised about it. Yeah. Sure. Yes, and and just just to balance what I said a moment ago, where I was passionately defending we need we need the right to freedom of speech so we can preach the gospel is what I said. Well, just to balance that, picking up on your point, Tim, look at the places around the world where there is no right to freedom of speech. And yet the church is growing like wildfire, places like the underground church in China, no freedom of speech at all. And yet the gospel is still going forward and there's church growth. And as you say, historically in history, most of the church uh, in most places, um, in most times globally has been persecuted and, and it's there there's been church growth. And here in the West, where we do have a much higher degree of freedom of speech, the church seems to be struggling. So there is something curious there and slightly upside down um, about where speech is cracked down on. Sometimes Christians do a better job of evangelizing as opposed to when we have total freedom, we seem to struggle a bit more. I'm not sure what's going on there, but uh, answers on a postcard, please. <laughs> I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's really important, actually, we do, like, we end on the positive, don't we? And, like, the hopeful, like, God, Jesus builds his church. We don't, you know, he's doing the work. Everywhere in the world where there's persecution, the church is growing. Maybe it's just our time in the West to sort of knuckle down and maybe we've, we've the the freedoms that we've had have made us i don't know complacent. too sloppy too uh, yeah complacent we're a little bit lukewarm like you know when things get tough you have to decide what you're going to do with your faith don't you and and how you're it's and so, and under you know that's that's where the church thrives often and i'm really actually quite optimistic about what god's doing in the uk weirdly considering you know everything we talk about sometimes here i was i was away a couple of weeks ago at a conference and i was sitting in a room with church leaders from across the uk telling amazing miraculous stories about young people completely unchurched just walking into their buildings having encountered jesus in dreams and all sorts of things so do you know what like sometimes i'm like God doesn't, you know, he will use our street preaching if we go out and do that. And that's what we feel to be like we're called to do. And we have to be obedient to where God is asking us to share the gospel. But God like draws people to himself. And we need to remember that that's a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit as well. You know, we don't always have to control every aspect of it. Okay, one final question to each of you. Same question to you before we close. Do you right now, when you talk to people who aren't Christians and the conversation might come to faith, do you worry about what you're about to say do you feel a sense of pressure do you self-censor or do you feel as free as you've ever been to be as the open honest authentic christian self sam you go first oh my goodness still like <laughs> dropping you in it um also sam can you just tell us the top five sins you struggle with <laughs> um i think uh i wouldn't call it self-censoring but Yes, I would do what what you call self censoring. I would call being wise, <laughs> and um, I would I would put it this way. So, as journalists working in communication, the first, sort of the first rule of communication is know your audience, know who you're speaking to, and, and the thing that I love about the gospel is it is relevant to every single person, but it is relevant in a different way. And you know, I was kind of brought up in a church where I just thought, well, the way you communicate the gospel is just tell them they're a sinner um and then they repent and and that's that's the gospel and of course as you grow up and you mature a little bit you realize you might have misunderstood a few things there sam and <laughs> you know what is the gospel to someone who ha has just come out of an abusive marriage now, the first thing they need to hear is probably not you're a sinner the first thing they need to hear is 
probably that God is a God of justice and believes in you getting justice for your situation and God's on your side. So I think if we can tailor the gospel to the individual, depending on where they're at. Now, some people would say, Sam, you're compromising, you know, stop self-censoring and just tell them they're a sinner. I, I don't believe that anymore. I think actually we're all individuals and God can meet our individual needs in different way. And the gospel applies quite differently to different people. So I try and do that, but I'm, I'm very happy to admit right here on the record, I am a terrible evangelist and, um, <laughs> Join the and I do. And to, and to answer your question in all seriousness, I, I definitely need a bit more boldness uh, in my life in general, when it comes to this area. Um, I'm happy to confess that. Emma, do you self-censor? Do you feel a, a weight of pressure curbing your free speech when you talk about Jesus? Yeah, I think um, I think like Sam, I would say that the issues have changed, haven't they? Kind of, I, I, I have two teenagers, so that's a really good way of staying abreast of like the things that are really causing contention for them. And as I've walked with them through issues, it certainly made me think um, about the, the way I communicate around those issues. Because like Sam, I think when you sort of grow up, the church we grew up in is not the church that people are now growing up in. And some of those areas that, yeah, just had these simplistic answers. Well, of course we believe this. Of course, it's like, you know, we never really talked about those things because they weren't issues and now they're huge issues and we have to unpack how we communicate around those. And I think, yeah, that that's, that's definitely changed. And as, as I've the world around me has changed, especially areas I think around sexuality and gender is probably the biggest one that becomes very, very important that you communicate really clearly and well and gracefully on those issues because they are so huge and they're so personal. I, you know, when I was a kid at school, I hardly knew anyone that was gay. My kids have got loads of friends that are gay. I've got family members who are gay. I've got best friends who have got family members that are gay. It just changes the way that you communicate and you have to be really careful around that. The other thing I'd say is it's interesting what God's doing. And I had this beautiful reminder a couple of weeks ago, I was in church and I um, started talking to a young lad who I didn't recognise over coffee. Um, he was 21. It was the second time he'd come to our church. He's completely unchurched. Um, he grew up a really harsh atheist. He said he hated Christians and used to listen to um, lots of um, shows with Richard Dawkins and debating and, and loved loved taking Christians on in an argument. Last year, for some inexplicable reason, which he still can't understand, he felt challenged to perhaps understand a little more about the religion that he professed to have hated for so long and started reading a Bible. Picked it up and started in Genesis, was slightly confused. A few weeks later at the CrossFit gym where he trains, a bunch of Christians walked in, started chatting to him, said, no, 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 don't do that. Please start in the New Testament. Go read John. And um, and as he read the Gospels and got to know the person of Jesus, he said it just completely wrecked my life. Like I just thought I can't believe I've hated this religion for so long when I knew nothing about the person of Jesus. And he just looked me in the eye and he said, he's amazing, isn't he? And I just thought, oh, that's what we forget. Like, that's what I need to remember when I'm trying to and struggling like Sam I mean I'm, we're all keyboard warriors I'm great sitting down and I've gone I've got three hours to think about how I'm going to word something looking someone in the eye and making it you know, it's terrifying but I was just reminded all over again that like the actual beauty is in the person of Jesus and if we can just remember to tell people what a lovely person Jesus is it will make it a lot easier than worrying about all these massive cultural issues probably Amen. Well, that's a truly uplifting note to end the podcast <laughs> on. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, 
uh we'll be back with another episode next week if you've got any ideas or stories you think we should talk about on the show please do get in touch with me um you can email t-s-w-y-a-t-t t-s-y at at gmail.com but otherwise uh, we'll speak to you next week bye-bye That's it for this week's Premier Christian Newscast. But before you go, please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. And why not tell a friend about the show too? And if you'd like even more church news analysis, you can also subscribe to my new free email newsletter, The Critical Friend. Each week, I send an email packed with links to interesting things happening in the church world and my commentary on them. Just visit tswyatt.substack.com to find out more and subscribe. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Premier Christian Newscast. 